Voters in North Shore School District 112 will be asked next week to help fund outdated elementary schools and improve security. When voters go to the polls next Tuesday, they'll be asked to approve a $114 million measure that will upgrade and secure the district's middle and elementary schools. We've done community input. We've had citizens task force input. We've done scientific polling. We hired a consultant. Superintendent Dr. Michael Lubelfeld says even though upgrades were already planned, the July 4th Fourth mass shootings intensified the need to further enhance security measures to the tune of another six million dollars. You want school to be a place of joy. At the same point, you've got to keep out um, negative elements who are causing um, disruptions and negative disruptions. We've got to keep our kiddos safe. Lewefeld says some of the improvements include exterior outdoor lock sensors, alert systems, more secure window treatments, and better interior locks. If you own a $500,000 home, the referendum would mean an extra $569 on your annual tax bill. Lisa Fielding, 105.9 WBBS. This is Lighthouse 112, the podcast from the Superintendent of Schools in North Shore School District 112. We're a pre-K through 8 public school district in Northeast Illinois. This podcast is a source of information about the school district, its leadership, its teachers, its students, and its community. It's another source of updates and an additional source of news regarding the changing narrative of public education. Inspire, innovate, engage. In this episode of Lighthouse 112, the focus is on the why and the what for the November 8th ballot. There is a referendum ballot question for the voters to decide upon a request for $114,400,000 in bond authority to modernize, upgrade, and renovate five elementary schools and provide enhanced physical security for all campuses. In District 112, we have a long-range facility plan. We have been upgrading and modernizing our facilities since 2018. Phase one of the plan, which required no dedicated tax increase, is just about complete. Northwood Middle School opened in 2021, and Edgewood Middle School is set to reopen in 2023. So what we've got going on now is a ballot question on the November 8th ballot. And essentially, the explanation is uh, we're looking for taxpayer-supported funding for phase two of the long range facility plan. The district has identified the five schools with the greatest maintenance needs, upgrading, updating, modernizing, and adding to Brayside, Indian Trail, Ravinia, Sherwood, and Wayne Thomas. The district initially planned to ask the community to issue bonds of $108,400,000. Yet following the tragic events at the 4th of July Highland Park Parade, in addition to an emergency security review, $6 million was added to phase two for safety and security needs across all of the campuses. Security investments will occur at all 10 of the campuses. The ballot measure now asks the community to consider issuing $114,400,000 in bonds. Now, if phase two is successful, the district has a planned phase three which would close out the facility needs for the district. Red Oak would be modernized along with new locations for the administration and early childhood programming. Phase three would come at no dedicated tax increase, just like phase one, again, which modernized Northwood and Edgewood and significantly kept Oak Terrace up to date.
So with respect to the five schools, Brayside built in 1929, Indian Trail 1955, Ravinia 1913, Sherwood 1961, and Wayne Thomas 1957, average age around 60 years old, the proposed improvements to the District 112 elementary schools funded by the phase two funding source of a bond approved, if approved by the voters, would address and fix accessibility. Thus, the schools, Brayside, Indian Trail, Ravinia, are not ADA compliant. Sherwood is a one-level school that's just about ADA compliant, and Wayne Thomas has two levels and is uh, just about, but the five schools are not fully ADA compliant, and Brayside, Indian Trail, and Ravinia are not ADA compliant at all. So that's one really big, big chunk of, of the budget, so to speak. Another one is safety and security, in addition to and beyond the $6 million that was already mentioned. We're also looking to upgrade and modernize the indoor learning environment, which includes significant replacement of the HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. These schools are not air conditioned or cooled. They also do not have modern air filtration or air cleaning. We're also going to replace all of the uh, electricity and lighting with LED lighting and replace the ceilings and flooring with um, different and, and, and safer uh, equipment. Uh, there's also a complete infrastructure and technology upgrade. Again, schools built uh, average age 60 years ago clearly need um, you know, electrical upgrades and things like that. In addition, there are significant roofing needs at Brayside, for example, the whole roof needs to be replaced. At um, Indian Trail, Sherwood Wayne Thomas, there's partial roof replacement needs. The exterior wall repairs are needed at all five campuses. Indian Trail needs a full window replacement and Sherwood Wayne Thomas need partial window replacement as specific examples of what this bond issuance would fund. We also need parking lot improvements, concrete improvements, uh, all across, and, and, and there's others. Um, to go over a quick timeline, we're looking at a 2018 to 2030 time horizon. 2018 to 2023 has just about taken place. Modernization under what we call phase one at Northwood and Edgewood and upkeep at Oak Terrace. Oak Terrace was built in 1999 and all of its utilities and roofs needed to be replaced over the last five years. Where we are right now and where we stand on this upcoming ballot is what we're calling phase two for Brayside Indian Trail, Ravinia, Sherwood, and Wayne Thomas, and security for all 10 campuses. If approved, construction uh, renovation will start at Indian Trail and Ravinia in June of 2023. That will continue to 2025. Uh, Sherwood would get a gymnasium addition and uh, a, a revitalization interior during the 2023 to 2025 period. Brayside and Wayne Thomas would be upgraded and renovated during the 25-26 school year. Sherwood would be um, renovated in 26-27. Phase two would be complete in 26-27. Then our plans would be to kick in phase three, which would be funded with no tax increase, funded from accumulated savings of the board's closure of a couple schools six years ago, as well as the reduction of our labor force by more than 11%, which we're sustaining. In 2026, Red Oak School would be modernized. The Early Childhood Center and Board of Ed Administration would be uh, relocated. And between 2027 and 2030, the District 112 long range facility plan would be complete. 
The tax impact, should this bond be approved by the voters on Tuesday, November 8th, uh, for um, market value home or property of a half million dollars would cost the uh, property owner $569 estimated for uh, 20 years. And for more information, please visit our website, www.nssd112.org. So what happens if the referendum doesn't pass? Well, no decisions have been made. The board has to maintain a 25% fund balance, a quarter of annual expenditures, to retain our bond rating and buy policy, so we are unable to spend all of our reserves on construction projects. We do imagine that there will likely be a debate amongst the board members about whether to use what financial reserves we can to complete necessary upgrades to one or two buildings and leave the rest or spread out the limited funds we have on updates to more of the buildings. This will be a very tough exercise as there is simply no way we can complete the scale of necessary renovations the district needs, including making buildings ADA accessible, installing modern HVA systems, and much, much more without additional funds and taxpayer support. Briefly, the district was born in 1993. There is no debt service extension base here. We have 50 years of deferred maintenance and a long time of kicking the can down the road that we're trying to stop and proving with um, phase one that we can stop that. There was one referendum in the late 90s. None have been approved since. One failed in 2016. The newest school next to uh, Northwood and, and Edgewood is Oak Terrace, which is 25 years old. Our upkeep and investment are timely and not deferred. Northwood and Edgewood in phase one have um, shown what refurbished, upgraded, modernized facilities can look like with no dedicated tax increase. We've reduced our school footprint from 12 to 10, and we've maintained a reduction in operating expenses and a reduction in staff. We need to upgrade and close out deferred maintenance at Sherwood, Indian Trail, Ravinia, Brayside, and Wayne Thomas. We like to fix up the aging schools, address infrastructure, roofs, windows, boilers, air conditioning, air quality, ventilation, windows, bricks, sidewalks, parking lots. We've turned over every rock we could, <laughs> no pun intended, for three cycles of uh, physical and educational assessments. And we believe with our approaches, with no dedicated tax increase in phase one, none planned for phase three, with this dedicated tax increase planned for phase two, we do believe we can accomplish all of this. Thank you for being educated. Thank you for using Lighthouse 112 as one of your sources of information about District 112. Thank you for listening to Lighthouse 112, the podcast from the Superintendent of Schools in the North Shore School District 112. We're a PK-8 public school district in Northeast Illinois. This podcast is a source of information about the school district, its leadership, its teachers and students, and its community. It's another source of updates and an additional source of news regarding the changing narrative of public education. Inspire, innovate, engage. This podcast can be listened to and heard on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and other sources are being added all the time. Please check back and subscribe to us to stay current with what's going on in North Shore School District 112. Please also visit our website at www.nssd112.org. Thank you so much 
for listening and for your interest. for joining us. We're really excited to have you all here for our session on student supports. Um, we're here to talk about supporting English language learners in North Shore District School District 112 in Illinois. Um, my name is Lauren Feldman. For those I haven't had a chance to meet, I'm the Senior Director of Breakthrough Results. Um, so we're going to start today by sharing just a brief overview of what the Breakthrough Results program is, kind of how it works, and why it works. But we're going to spend the majority of the time hearing from our North Shore friends about their experience uh, the results that they got with their English language learners when they took this approach in their district last spring, and then what they learned from it and how they're planning to sustain that and grow that impact over time. So really excited to have you here. Um, if you were here for the first session with East Baton Rouge this morning, I'll apologize in advance. The beginning section is gonna be similar, but then the rest will be you know, more uh, nuanced to the North Shore experience. Um, so we'll get started with just some introductions. Um, so again, my name is Lauren Feldman, really excited to be joining you all here. Um, I live in Chicago. Uh, prior to joining District Management Group, I worked for Chicago Public Schools as a director of strategy um, and really enjoyed working with folks like our North Shore friends and others in the room and here today uh, to implement our Break the Results approach in different areas around the country. So literacy, numeracy, attendance, uh, if it's a problem that's a strategic priority for your district, we can take the Breakthrough Results approach and apply it to that. And so just really excited to share this as, as an example of, of how we've done that. I'll turn it over to you. All right, good morning or good afternoon. I am Mike Lubelfeld. I'm the superintendent of schools in North Shore School District 112, and we serve children in Highland Park, Illinois and Highwood, Illinois. We're 25 miles north of Chicago and about 25 miles south of the Wisconsin border. We're on the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan, and it is an absolute honor to be here with two members of my uh, of the leadership team in District 112. I'm Lily Malamed. I am the principal over at Oak Terrace Elementary School, which is currently a kindergarten through fifth grade Spanish dual language school. So 50% of our students are native Spanish speakers, 50% of our students are native English speakers, and students learn in both languages throughout the day. They spend half the day learning in English and half the day learning in Spanish. We try to use their language strengths in one language to really capitalize and develop their strengths in the other language. Hi everyone, I'm Colleen Goodrich. I'm an associate principal in the district. Um, I've been there for three years, so currently I'm at a monolingual school, but for the two prior years, I was a split or AP between a dual language and a monolingual school. So I was at Red Oak, so very similar demographics, um, definitely the same type of structure to the day. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to share the process with you guys and how it has impacted those students and then figure out what we're gonna do this year. Um, so with that, again, I'm just going to give a brief overview of what the Breakthrough Results approach is to frame then the North Shore experience, the results that they got, how they used this approach to support their English language learners, um, and how they're thinking about scaling it going forward. So as you heard from John this morning, this is all about getting results. Successful change programs begin with results. Breakthrough at its core is really about helping teachers to understand what it is they are doing that's working with students and helping them to change the ways that they work to focus on the things that, that benefit students. We believe the way that you can change behavior is by getting results and showing people impact. 
once they see the impact, they're gonna think back on, well, what did I do that got that impact? Okay, now I'm gonna keep doing that going forward. So when we say successful change programs begin with results, that's what we mean. We show results and that's how we can change behavior and continue to grow and get more and more results over time. In order to get results, we start with breakthrough with the premise of like, well, why is it so hard, right? right? We all, as, as district leaders, um, we make really strong plans and sometimes it's hard to then translate that into results. So we started with the premise of, well, what's getting in the way? And what we found is there are basically three types of barriers that often get in the way of translating from a, a strong plan to actual results. And when we do this work with districts, as our North Shore friends know, we actually talk about these barriers early on in the process with the district leaders, with the school personnel. We, we name these up front to say, these are the things that often get in our way. Let's be open about it, let's be honest about it, and let's design our work and have our own mindsets set to overcome these things together. So first is psychological barriers. Uh, we see these a lot where it, it kind of manifests as um, people uh, you know, coming out with statements like, you know, I'm already doing all that I can, or um, they won't let me do it, these, these sort of psychology things of um, barriers that people put up to sort of make excuses for why we can't do things differently. And again, we name this up front to say like, we're not, if we hear ourselves going in that direction, we're gonna check our own assumptions and stop ourselves and, and change for ourselves. Second is the organizational barriers, or sometimes we call these management barriers. This is incredibly common in, in districts and in schools because of the way that we're structured and set up, right? We have end of year assessments. Um, oftentimes, that's the only way that we can measure progress and know if we're doing things well for students or students are learning. And so we set plans for the year, we set budgets for the year, we have assessments on an annual schedule, and it's really hard to know then, am I on track to reach my goal in November, or December, or January? Uh, we just get that data back and then we have to plan for the next year. So in this work, we, we really set up structures to say, okay, how are, we, how are we gonna set a goal that's shorter than that and we can measure progress towards that goal really clearly and then make sure that we have clear accountability. Oftentimes in schools, you know, everyone's working together and everyone's in it together, but if when everyone's in it, that means no one's responsible. And so we have really clear accountability in the breakthrough structure to make sure that we can sort of overcome that and everyone knows their role, they're accountable, and they're held to that with, the, with transparency. Um, and finally, there's uh, things like cultural barriers. Oftentimes the way that this manifests in, in school districts especially is um, like attitudes towards you know, acceptance of low performance or acceptance of um, performance as it's always been and sometimes <coughs> like fears towards taking risks or taking a chance. Um, because we're dealing with students' lives, right? We know that the stakes are really high and if we mess up, it feels really scary. And so oftentimes that, that makes people, um, that leads to these cultural barriers where it's uh, difficult to take risks or try new things. And so with Breakthrough, we implement these quick progress monitoring cycles to basically say, try something new. You're gonna get data back in two weeks to know if it worked or not. If it didn't, no big deal. We can go on to the next thing and try something else and we'll continue to, to get data back and progress versus having to wait to the end of the year and, and having that, that fear. So again, these are some of the barriers that often get in the way of getting to results. When we design the Breakthrough program, we looked at those and said, all right, how are we gonna tick them off, right, one by one with the structure and the, and the approach. So, you know, at its core, Breakthrough is all about getting results, and we do that through building leadership capacity. So some of the structural elements here, they're listed on the right-hand side, we have teams come together at the school level, 
and they set a focused performance goal. It's a SMART goal. You all know what SMART goals are, um, but I'm sure our, our North Shore friends will talk about like <coughs> super, super specific, incredibly measurable, the uh, ambitious but achievable uh, uh, sweet spot, um, and then relevant and time-bound goals that guide our work and that are at the forefront of everything we do, every meeting that we have, every agenda, every dashboard, the SMART goals at the top, right? That's the, the North Star that we're guiding towards. We have short cycles, not a year, not two years, 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks, and that creates a sense of urgency while also giving teams enough time to really see progress and hit their stride. Uh, we provide individualized and group-based performance coaches from district management group who come in as you know, an outsider to help ask the open-ended questions to support with the data analysis, root cause identification, and really drawing out the expertise from the teachers or the staff who are doing the work and who know their students, know their curriculum, know their school and their community, and, and help bring that out, which helps to give them that just-in-time professional development and build <coughs> capacity that can sustain that over time after the performance coach steps away. So, as we think about then setting up the structure for how we work with districts, there are basically three main groups of people that come together to make this work. Um, first, we start with the sponsorship team, which is the district level folks like the superintendent or the teaching and learning department. Um, these are the folks who identify what is the strategic priority we want to address. So, Superintendent Lebelfeld came to us and said it's English language learners and helping to increase their literacy. That's where I, I need to focus my effort. And so we set the vision for success and then empower the school-based teams to get results, right? Um, at the school, we have teams of staff come together who work on the problem, right? So if we're focused on kindergarten literacy with our dual language uh, schools, we're gonna take all the teachers in a school building, say there's three sections of kindergarten, each of those teachers come together as a team with maybe an assistant principal, a literacy coach, or a literacy specialist, anyone else in the building who's working with those students every day, they come together and form a team. That team is then matched up with, from the district management group side, a performance coach who comes to meet with them once per week, first to, to look at their baseline data and set that SMART goal, and then to monitor progress develop strategies, implement those strategies, and, and see progress. And really at its core, what the team is doing in that work is this kind of continuous improvement cycle that you heard John talk about this morning with the app updates, right? It's all about quickly trying things, getting data back to see what's working, and then trying new things and continuing to get data. So for example, um, if we're focused on you know, kindergarten literacy, we have a team that comes together the first week they're gonna say, all right, we're gonna try two different strategies. Approach one, let's say that's small group instruction. Approach two, that's gonna be you know, trying a, a new curriculum. Those two things get implemented for a few weeks. The teachers administer a progress monitoring assessment and get data back to see really quickly what worked. And what they find out is, you know, approach two, that actually didn't work. Approach one, it turns out when we did it, we actually found there are two sub-approaches. It's not just small group instruction, but it's small group instruction with a computer and their small group instruction with a teacher. And so let's separate that out because those are actually different strategies. And then we'll implement those, we'll check progress again, we'll continue to see what works, what doesn't. Stop doing the things that don't work and keep doing and scaling and improving the things that do. And we do this over, over that 10 week period. I think 
one of the really key things I see our North Shore friends shaking their heads is this idea of stop doing the things that don't work. Oftentimes when we talk to teachers about their experience during breakthrough, what we hear is that they, at the beginning, were a little bit um, apprehensive because it felt like this was something totally new that they were gonna have to do in addition to everything else they were doing. And then as they get through the process, they realize that breakthrough is all about helping them to identify what I'm doing in my classroom that's working and what's not. So they can stop doing things, take something off their plate, and really focus on, you know, work harder, not smart, work smarter, not harder. <laughs> um, so that is a really core part of the approach is, is helping to do this in a way that is sustainable for teachers as well. It's not just about getting results and having a blip in the, in the system, but actually helping teachers to you know, go from that normal level of performance, tapping into the hidden reserve to get that peak, but not just dropping back down, right? We've gotta learn the skills and do it in a way that's sustainable to help build lasting capacity and sustain that level of performance after the, the challenge, the breakthrough challenge is over and the performance coach steps away. So that's the core of the approach. Um, we're gonna hear a lot more then about how it's implemented and specifically with our North Shore team about what they learned in terms of supporting English language learners. So I'm gonna like join the panel now. All right, great <laughs> intro. Um, and we'll start with you, Superintendent Lutzfeld. <coughs> Just tell us a little bit about North Shore, um, your district, your priorities, and then uh, kind of how this partnership emerged. All right, so I'm gonna start in 1993, but I will be very fast to get to 2023 <laughs> to help you with the context as to why this is so critical right now and why the work really that Lily and Colleen are gonna to describe to you is so incredibly impactful and powerful. In 1993, three historic school districts in Highland Park and Highwood, Illinois combined. It was a forced consolidation that was reluctant. I'm not gonna get into all that, I'll just explain that. So the entity, North Shore School District uh, 112 has been in existence as one entity since 1993. We've been educating kids since the 1840s. Okay, three different neighborhoods, three different groups. So from 93 till about 2010, the district was really getting to be consolidated and to be a school district with the same type of grade level centers, the same type of things. However, there was great pride in independence and there was great pride in being a system of schools, not a school system. In 2010, there was a pivot point. There was a, a very intense and very broad strategic plan and assessments and all this that tried to start the process to become a school system. And I tell you this because this is decades long work. The real cool thing is we get to celebrate and tell you how cool it is. A whole lot of people had blood, sweat and tears setting the foundation for us to be able to be successful. I just wanna give you that context. Like all school districts in, in the United States, there's a variety of challenges. Teaching and learning are the most important challenges and equitable access to educational excellence for each child every day. That's the bread and butter. That's why we're called here. That's why we're here. Each child every day, each family every day. The district also had hundreds of millions of dollars of facility challenges. Again, nothing new for you. I'm just giving you our context, probably similar to all of your schools and all of your school buildings. Uh, there was leadership transition from 2014 to 2017, such that the district was kind of in a low point. The good news is the interim superintendents and the new board members and the new teaching and learning team who replaced the then superintendent, the then board leadership, and the then central office 
um, were really ready for someone new. They had also started the concept of guaranteed and viable curriculum in a school system. So I'm letting you know that in 2017, so I told you I'd go fast, so you're like, time. 2017, guaranteed and viable curriculum, school system, major integrated adoption of Ed Reports, uh, reading English language arts and math, materials going away from materials being the curriculum and all of that. There were historically exceedingly high achieving students and exceedingly low achieving students. There's historically um, gaps between economically advantaged and economically disadvantaged. Again, just you know, level setting for you, nothing new, very typical for how the rest of the world operates. Uh, we serve about three, just under 4,000 students in grades pre-K, 3K through uh, eight. We're an elementary only district. Um, we have 10 schools and as Lily mentioned, in the fall we're gonna have nine schools because we're taking our early childhood programming and integrating it with the K-5. Our whole aim is integration and, and, and getting us together. Our IAR, it's the Illinois Assessment of Readiness. It's the required state test from the US Department of Ed, ESSA. Um, we call it IAR, Illinois Assessment of Readiness. Does it assess anything? Who knows? Do, do we know if you're ready? I don't know. But it is what it is and we have to embrace it and we do. So from the growth measure on IAR, which is obviously something that, that we're really into is growth. We need achievement to rise. We need achievement to rise for each child every day. We need growth to be at or better than what's expected in order that we're going to close the opportunity gaps between different groups of children. So we're very focused, almost relentless, zealot, laser-like focused on growth. IR growth is 50% and 48% for ELA and math. It's not terribly impressive, however, warts and all, we proudly keep our head up and our chins up and we say, here's where we are, here's what we're gonna identify and here's what we're gonna do, because we're gonna get better tomorrow. And we need to ex just tell you where we are today and be honest about it. Our per pupil expenditure is extremely high because we are in a high concentration of affluence and wealth. <laughs> Jokingly, the Metra is, um, it's not public transportation, it's private train transportation that takes you from the suburbs to the city. Um, you know, go with Metra, you can really fly. A lot of communities have one Metra stop. Where we serve, there are six of them. Brayside on the south end has a stop. The Ravinia Festival, which is a world-renowned music and cultural festival, has a stop. The Ravinia neighborhood has a stop. Brayside and Ravinia were historic neighborhoods in the 19th century. Again, this matters. I'll move faster, but I think you need to hear it. <laughs> then we have the City of Highland Park spot. Then we have the City of Highwood spot. And then we have Fort Sheridan. We have been home to the former Army base, Fort Sheridan, since the 1880s. The town of Highwood was established to serve the troops. It is a lot of fun. It is a great place, really good restaurants and bars and things. But you're getting a little economic sort of sense. One in five of our children and their families qualify for the free and reduced lunch program, or 20% of our children are economically disadvantaged, however you want to look at that. About 65% of our students identify as white. About 2 to 3% identify as black or African American. A couple, 3% Asian American. 27% uh, of Hispanic heritage and descent. And believe you me, the Hispanic heritage and descent is representative of multiple nations, multiple countries, multiple economics as well. So there's no one broad brushstroke, which again is laying it down to get you ready. They're like, oh my God, stop talking. Um, <laughs> I'm almost done. Our EL children represent 16%. About 85% of that 16% are Spanish language 
folks. The other 15% are all over Europe, Asia, you name it, all you know, the rest of the world. So we really have a neat complex. We have concentrations of wealth that, are, that yield six metro stops, and we have concentrations of poverty that are multiple families living in um, conditions that are suboptimal. All right, so now we can go to the next slide. Okay. <laughs> So, thank you, that's very helpful okay. context, and fast, actually. Okay. Um, so, yeah, would love to hear then, putting yourself to sort of this time last year or last fall, coming out of, coming out of the pandemic, or still in the pandemic, what led you to then want to focus on English language learners, and, and sort of what was the data that you were looking at, and the, how, did, how did that priority come out? Okay, and you'll love the superintendents, because nothing's really simple, but I'm going to try to simplify this answer. So since 1996, the school district has been very proud to have a two-way immersion, dual language, Spanish-English program. It is the state-approved program instructionally to support English learners who are dominant in Spanish. We don't have a transitional bilingual education program anymore, and we don't have transitional programs of instruction uh, widespread. We obviously have EL programming, but in terms of bilingual, we don't have a group other than Spanish that's large enough for it. So we've been really eager to equalize the opportunities and access to education over the years. And over the years, the program has been at um, one school to four schools. Uh, now it's at two schools. We started the pandemic um, excited and scared. We started the pandemic after having seen some very initial positive results from changing the instructional model and being relentless with 50-50 English-Spanish or uh, philosophical changes in the district prior to my arrival. And we were very focused on making sure that the resources that we were putting forward in the support for the teachers and the principals was going to yield positive results. The pandemic hit, and like all of you, we had four priorities. Feed our children was priority one. Promote the general welfare of our staff, students, and family. Mental health was priority two. Communication was priority three. Remote learning or anything remotely related to education was priority four. And you just have to enjoy the folks who said, gosh, this superintendent's terrible. His last priority is education. Yes, skin of an alligator. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so our priority really was on those in the greatest need when we can, you know, rising tides lift the boat. So we want to go with those who are who've been historically marginalized, somewhat structurally oppressed through no one's fault, no deliberate actions. However, the results have been negative in terms of academic growth, academic achievement, social emotional wellness, and status in the society. So our focus is on those in the greatest need, which in our community are those who are a mixture of being designated in an economically disadvantaged, um, in our case, having Spanish as the first language from this EL group, and our aim is to, to put innovative practices and processes and structures in place to stem the tide of what's going on in the nation to do the best we can on our schools. Awesome. Thank you. So then, last question for you. Um, then is it because I'm talking too much? No. <laughs> um, They're like, yes. <laughs> before we get to the, the work of the team. So knowing this was the context in your district and coming out of the pandemic, focusing on those students yeah. that needed the support the most, what led you to the breakthrough approach, the partnership with DM Group? Like, why, why that 
Why that solution? Okay, so I have known of district management council and DM group probably for the last decade. And when my previous superintendent post, I actually attended a superintendent strategy summit and I followed the work from afar, really admiring the work of all of you and the work they were doing. When the pandemic hit, I called John and I said, hi John, remember me, I need your help. Um, help us get our schools open. And, and I followed their, their template, their syntax, the format and the structure and the processes. And I remembered what I loved so much about your approach to every challenge you have. And I had joked with John, I said, my friend next door has 13 committees. Can we do that? He goes, no, you're working with us. You have like four committees. Just do what we say, don't talk to your friends. Um, <laughs> so we got our schools open, in-person learning, halftime, but again, all of a sudden it opened up our eyes. In addition, we have been doing a number of audits. I became superintendent in 2018. Audit of internal financial controls. See what's really going on under the rug. Audit of cybersecurity, then another audit of cybersecurity, then another audit of technology services. We had asked DM Group for an audit of our student services programming and the six findings they came up with, one was a dynamic continuum of services for all children, one was MTSS, which we've subsequently engaged with them to run the management of that. And then the sixth one was EL. And I had called John after we did an equity audit that also identified gaps and areas for improvement in EL. And I said, John, I think I need another audit. And he said, my God, Mike, if, if anyone does not need an audit, it's you. <laughs> What are you trying to find out? You know our audit told you this, your equity audit told you this. You know what's going on. I said, you're right, I just need your help. <laughs> um, and he, he shared this with me. We talked to some teammates. I'm blessed to have what's called the Superintendent Innovation Account. So I have an approved appropriation annually by the board to um, do things that I may not know about in February or March or April or May or June. And so um, we rolled up our sleeves and we decided we were doing this. So um, we tried breakthrough teams. The most important area to start with was multilingual learners at both of our K-5 schools. We contracted and partnered for 15 teams. And uh, what you're gonna hear is gonna blow your mind. Awesome, all right, well let's, let's talk about the results then. <laughs> um, so Lily, you were the principal at one of the schools. Um, Colleen was the AP at the other school. So, We'd love to hear from you, Lily. Like, what were the results that you all achieved, um, and why do you think you were able to, to get those? Yeah. So this is these are our results for our kindergarten through second grade students, and I'll just give you a moment to look at that positive growth. Um, there are a lot of reasons that we were able to achieve this tremendous growth, and one of those, I think, the biggest reason um, was working and partnering with DM through this process. Um, it brought a team of people to the table who were focused on a very singular goal. So the DM approach brought our, our groups to the table. We looked at baseline student data, selected target students, a specific group of target students, and then dug into what's the deficiency? Like, what are we really looking at here? And kindergarten, it was decodable words in first and second grade. It was words per minute fluency. And in K2, we used fast bridge data. So that was nice, it was easy, it was clean, the assessment was simple. And so that allowed us a lot of leverage. And even within the fast bridge data, it breaks it down to what's their letter, what do they know about letter names? What do they know about letter sounds? What can they already, what do they already know? And in our dual language schools, we give the fast bridge assessment in English and in Spanish three times a year. 
So the reason behind that, when we're looking at children developing proficiency in two languages, is we wanna see what's your proficiency and what could be your L1. And what we actually found out was that, especially in kindergarten, many of our, who we thought were native Spanish speakers, didn't have a specific L1. And I think we see that more and more in our schools. So we were able to leverage that data to identify the target students and then to start making decisions. We set a goal and we started to look at what are the teaching strategies that we're using. And the teachers came to the table, they came up with a strategy or they came up with different strategies, they tried them. A couple weeks later, we progress monitored. And in the beginning, it was a little clunky because they had never sat and talked about data like that. They'd had big conversations about map data but never, never this, this deep and this targeted at specific skills. And I would say about halfway through the challenge, specifically in K-1-2, my teachers started to say, well, we need to like look at what's really going on. And my kindergarten teachers were like, oh, well, these, they don't have letter names. They don't have these specific letter sounds. And they'd go back and look at the Spanish fast bridge data to see, well, do I need to try an intervention with these kids in Spanish? and then do some bridging across into English for the transferable sounds. So the conversations were rich, they were deep, and they got to a point where it, on their own, they started to progress monitor weekly. That was their own choice, and that way they could each week be like, oh, I'm gonna try that strategy. Mm -hmm. And so that was what, at the end of every meeting, we agreed, like, what are your next steps? And I think that was a key piece of those conversations. We couldn't leave the table until we had next steps solidly in place, things that we agreed to do. Um, and we didn't necessarily have agreements finalized in the beginning and teammates would come back and maybe a couple of us would have things done and somebody might not. And that's when a teammate would say, well, we agreed to do this. So we all need to follow through with what we agreed to. And it really opened up the table for some incredible conversations. We would never, last year was my first year as principal in the school. And as a first year principal, having those deep data conversations when they've never existed in a school culture wouldn't have been impossible. So as a principal, I deeply appreciate that opportunity to be able to sit with my teachers for six hours a week, which I was freed up to do. And that was something that my district, my central office team ensured that like we were able to be present in those meetings and we were able to be an active participant and leader. And that makes a huge difference as well. Um, and that's kind of our, that's our K2 story. Yeah. When we look at 3-5, 3-5 is a different story. So within our third through fifth grades, we did not have the really nice, clean, fast bridge data. We took a standards focus and we used MAP as our measurement tool, which is a tricky tool because you can't progress monitor map data. It's impossible. So, but that was the baseline data that we used. We used the winter map data and then we used our spring map data to give us, did our target students reach the goal? And so similarly to K2, we used the baseline data to select and target a small group of students. And then we looked at units of instruction to say, now, now what? what so we really looked at those four questions from the PLC, like guiding the PLC process without telling them that that's what we were doing. And we started asking those questions weekly at the table. Okay guys, what is it that we want students to know and be able to do at the end of this week? Let's pick a standard. Now let's, how are we gonna assess it? 
And so we had those conversations, but what we found there with our three five teachers, getting a couple weeks in, is that we had some teachers who actually didn't really know the standards. And we had some teachers who really didn't understand how to write an assessment or the difference between a formative and summative assessment. So while we were really targeting our student learning and our student growth, we also had the opportunity to target teacher professional development. And it was just built in where at one point, one of my teachers said, you guys, I don't think I understand what the standard's asking. And we're like, cool, that's okay. Yeah. Let's dig into it. And over time, people became pretty vulnerable. And you know, as you can see from, from the data, you can probably tell which teams were more open and flexible and willing to have the difficult conversations and be vulnerable, and which teams, you know, the opposite. So we are really proud of the growth that they made. And in the assessment design, what we ended up doing about halfway through the challenge was having our coach at the time start to design assessments for them because it was just taking too long. And the, the time you need to build assessment literacy is far greater than the 10 week challenge. So when we realized that was a barrier to the results, we tried to eliminate that barrier and provide them with that targeted intervention that they, that they needed. The thought process too, throughout the, the 10 weeks, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to those barriers, right? You have the psychological, the organizational, the cultural barriers. Um, this type of process created a space from the beginning where it allowed people to have like a, why am I waiting? Right. Exactly. Like, well, the you know the the end of unit test is in four weeks, so I guess I'll just see what happens then because there's not a formative assessment or there's not a checkpoint built in to the curriculum. Like, well, if we know that that is a lagging point in our curriculum, um, you know, we have the space to create that. So again, the the K2 was almost created for us with the fast bridge, um, so that made it really easy peasy to, to roll with. Um, the 3.5 was a little more in depth, but it really created that space to take away some of those barriers that people might have been telling themselves. There's not already an assessment created for me, so I have, I have to wait till the end to find out what they're doing. Um, so that was a huge tipping point for us in the positive direction, and we were able to really and the teachers really needed to hear, I found for my staff members, and we've had this conversation a couple times on this during this um, summit, is that teachers, what I learned is teachers tend to place a lot of value in their identity as a teacher. Like that's who they are. And so looking at their individual data in front of other people is like putting their identity on stage and really calling them as people into question. So we tried to have conversations with our teachers very early on in these meetings and say, the data isn't you, the data is the kids. And now we have to look at our kids and decide what to do to support them. So really trying to change that thinking, which it's not, it hasn't changed. They're still thinking that same way because that's who they are and it takes multiple exposures to the same idea to change that thinking pattern. But really helping them understand the data is the students we use the data to intervene to support the students. Thank you. I would love to hear a little bit more about um, then, like how did you make that shift in your teams? Just knowing that I'm, I'm imagining folks who are listening to this are thinking I have a lot of teachers like that who either you know probably aren't familiar with 
the difference between formative and summative assessments or aren't as comfortable with standards, like would feel sort of um, on blast a little bit by looking at data with their peers. So yeah, how did you how did you overcome that or how did you see that get overcome through this process? I mean, transparency, right? There's um, really owning the fact that, um, oh gosh, because this was my, it was my second year, it was my first year in the district was, was coming back from COVID land. So it, it was, that that happened and then year two was you know my experience with breakthrough teams and um allowing staff to see that it's not a you know um, us them i am at the table i'm a team member as well these are our kiddos so that language um we all know that right that we are together they are our kids we share the responsibility but it makes a huge <coughs> difference when a coach and an administrator is at the table with them. So that was a high priority um, and it helped shift that barrier. Um, there was also an additional piece of really, again, that transparency, laying things out right from the beginning. This is new. We have not done it this way before and it is okay because we have to recognize that change comes from trying something different, right? And just that, that acknowledgement People are going to feel kind of yucky about it in the beginning. It's going to feel bumpy. It's going to feel grimy. But always going back to why are we sitting down at this table? Um, we had a lot of conversations that seemed, you know, to be a similar topic, but it was people's comfort level where they were reaching out saying, like, you know, I, I, I really don't want to share my data or this is really scary or I know my kids are you know coming in and they're you know I feel like they're really low this year and the data is just going to be really bad and it that almost we didn't shy away from when people shared that with us right you you use that you harness that and you acknowledge like I love that you're saying that because that is telling yourself and me and your team that you are recognizing there is room for growth so constantly acknowledging that was a huge part of the process to help break down um, and make that shift. And then from there, um, you know, things that came up where there was a, you know, an aha of we've created a formative assessment, you know, in, in three five, oh, we it didn't actually um, it didn't actually test the skill that we were thinking that it would test because teams were creating it on their own. Um, you know, we made one shift where we as a team were going to create formal assessments during the team meeting and then it, we did something similar right over where we realized we got to have a better use of people's times, right? So pulling a literacy coach, have them create that for them. Um, so, but again, acknowledging that the process of the breakthrough team is to help make really quick adjustments to continue that progress monitoring, right? We're not going to wait 10 weeks and say, I hope it went well. Why would we not make adjustments along the way? Right? Why wait? That was always something we kept saying. Why wait? So being able to acknowledge that, you know, I was a, someone very much that was like, guys, I really think that we need to make a quick adjustment, even on my end with the way I'm helping to organize the meeting for you. So again, that transparency, um, and it was a, it created a huge impact, and it, it also had a, a positive effect later on. Um, people felt much more comfortable, teammates said, um, having more in-depth conversations with me and the principal at the time about their students and what needed to be done, what changes needed to be made 
areas that they were concerned about, areas that they weren't comfortable with. It just opened up a, a better space for communication in that sense. One of the things that I did, just, which I think is a really helpful tip, is I realized, you know, and you know who your, your go-getters are, you know who your mm -hmm. resistors are, and so I very strategically targeted my resistors, and I would pop in during their plan time, be like, hey, I know, you, you know, what are some questions that you have? Like, how can, let's process through this. So I spent a lot of time talking to some of those resistors, and then some of the people in the middle, in their regular team time, we had conversations, like, what are your hesitations? What are things you're not sure of? and answering that and always bringing it back to the point of this process is to support our students. Right now we have a need to support our kids and we're out of ideas. And it was, I think, one of those psychological barriers where it's like, I've done everything I can. We all feel like we've done everything we can, so let's see what happens if we just try this one thing. Let's just see. And it took a while, but my K2 team specifically, and you see that in their growth, like I have my kindergarten team this year, was trying to figure out how to support a student need. They were seeing a huge gap, and I don't remember what it was, and they're like, hey, remember that DM group data sheet? And one of them pulled it up, made a copy of it, put in student names, was like, Lily, can you look at the, form like the formulas? And, and they're using it. They are now going through the exact same process for their tier two students, and they did that on their own. That was all their idea. We just said, hey, we're targeting this group of kids for tier two. We need to quickly progress monitor and, and make changes to interventions. And so that's been a huge, a huge benefit that came out of that process. I'll keep going with questions, but if there are any questions from the audience, feel free to raise your hand. Um, so I think hearing from you all about the, the school level learnings is super helpful. Um, Superintendent Lebofeld, we'd also love to hear from you. What were some of the district level kind of aha moments or learnings that you took away from this experience last week? So it's really challenging, especially at the central office where the magic doesn't happen, contrary to popular opinion, to create magic. And the opportunity is the principals are the most critical administrators or leadership team members who are in arm in arm and side by side with the teachers where everything happens. So we're, we're, we're big on the Marzano et al. findings that the single greatest influence on a child's learning, growth, achievement is the classroom teacher and very close second, it's the building leaders. So we've got that foundational philosophy. In addition, we're students of John Hattie's meta-analytic international work in study and effect size and all this, again, warts and all. Um, and we've noticed that collective efficacy I believe in you and I want to help you believe in you. I also believe in our students and I want to help you believe in our students. That in and of itself, as overly simplistic as that sounds, taking that from the top, can have the profound impact of up to three years of growth on the way that we traditionally measure growth. Whether the child is three, whether the child's 14 in our system, whether the child is EL, whether the child is not EL, whether the child's learning, we basically have an aha moment that one of the only avenues we have as leaders to actually help the teacher embrace some of the science of, of our work and some of the science of teaching, some of the research and distilling it to real life was through a process with systems and structures designed to say, we're not going to blame anyone. We're not blaming you. We're not blaming the students or their families. We have 10 weeks. We don't have time to quibble 
We, have, we don't have a lot of prep time either. I don't think any of you have a luxury of an abundance of preparation time. We're going to use this judiciously, strategically, tactically, all at the same time, aggressively, um, assertively, professionally, and through a science lens to say each child every day can learn. And by the way, each teacher every day can create conditions where the child learns. And it's that collective efficacy which is the greatest result of this via the professional planning time and the professional learning time of our students. And, and from the school perspective, what did you all learn in terms of how you think about then supporting your English language learners? What were some of the, the key takeaways, both for how you work with your staff, but then you know, specifically how you support those students? I have data, like it's yeah. having the goal, um, really targeting where is, and another thing that came out of working with my teams is they loved that we were targeting this group of people, but they wanted to, they're like, we can't forget about these other kids. And because not every student who was struggling, was a, a struggling learner, was included in the target group. The target group was small. And so they wanted to continue to expand out, and they brought that up. Like, it's, we're looking at all of our students. Um, so I think that it's that data piece, when, especially for our ELs, is looking where are the deficits? Like where are these, where are these areas that we need to go back, foundational, skill-wise, whatever those skills are, we cannot continue to just move forward. We cannot continue to let a child sit in a classroom and stare at a worksheet and tell them that they're lazy because they're not lazy. They may not understand the English language that is very heavy in the mathematics curriculum. So knowing that, how do we go in and how do we target those missing skills in both languages or even just figuring out which language is it? There's times we have kids in reading intervention for Spanish and the reading interventionist is like, they don't like speaking Spanish. Let's try English. And so when we know better, we do better. And I think that's been the big thing is using that data to leverage missing skills and go back and fill those gaps. Sure. in an organization that you create parameters on it like you know here's what you can experiment with and here's what you can't experiment with yeah we have our we are resource rich in our district resource rich to the point that people are like i need a resource and we're like but we have so many <laughs> and so it was we, we leveraged our instructional coaches who were very well informed of the resources and a lot of times the expertise of our teachers too last year we did not have a foundational skills um, resource that was aligned to the science of reading that we're using to develop strong skilled readers and so last year we did have to lean into some outside resources for foundational skills but now we have a foundational skills resource that is strong that has a lot of components and so we did you know we stick within the parameters of the resources that we have we try those we utilize our instructional framework that provides us with instructional practices that are 
leveraged with like predictable outcomes, knowing that this is a high leverage practice. Use that practice, use this resource, however you want. And then if you can come back to me and say, I did this and I did this and I still need more, then we'll talk about like what else is there, but it's really keeping them within the framework of what we have available. No teachers pay teachers. Answer that. Yeah. 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 question is no saying like, if you have a good quality resource, right? Like sometimes yeah. that's the easy sort of default thing that teachers go to, just getting a better resource instead of focusing on their own. But then the practice, practice. what's the, yeah. how are you taking this resource and making it accessible to the child? Yeah. And that too is what was really amazing about the way the meetings were structured. It was, um, it got to a point where it was, yes, let's review the data, right, from even like the week before. How did they do? What is the gap we're seeing? Sometimes the data looked, they were like, oh, that was atrocious. Oh, I think I need to reteach it to the entire class. And then when you dug in, there was maybe only one or two questions that kiddos were struggling with, and those one or two questions were for a very specific skill. So it was like, that was part of the conversation too, where it was, no, I don't need an additional massive change to my plan or this like crazy out of left field resource, I can actually go back in, you know, go into like the, you know, the additional resource section, whatever it might be that, you know, for the small group work within the teacher's manual and use that in a different way. And that the team meetings provided the structure. Once we got really efficient with having those data conversations and identifying kids and knowing these are kids I'm going to pull for a reteach, for this small group, for this many times a week, for this many minutes, and this group of kids, for this skill, for this many minutes, this time a week, um, they were then able to utilize each other as resources, you know, because then it was, they started to have um, data that was showing, you know, Lily's class totally rocked it, and I had 10 kids in my class, you know, from my target group that still were really struggling, Lily, what did you do, right? Again, not new concepts that we, like, we know those are really great things, for teams to do, but there was a now a structure in place where people felt comfortable, um, and there were the parameters to have those conversations with that. But that takes time. Yeah. That was for not sure. like week one, week no. two, week three, no. week four. That was it, 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 it took time to get yeah. into that, and even looking at, you know, if this is a something you're looking at doing, like really making sure your teachers are clear with the learning expectations like what does this standard ask kids to know and do and then how do you support them in assessing that because we did find that there were assessments that a kid a group of students did quite awful on we look back at the questions and realize that question is quite awful so you know you have to really be thoughtful in what is it that you're assessing and how are you assessing it Um, can you both talk about the role, so you, you mentioned in your schools you have coaches, you have literacy coaches. Talk about the role of the literacy coach compared to the role of the, the DMG performance coach mm -hmm. and, and just how those <coughs> interact together. I think a lot of districts have coaches and mm -hmm. so it's always helpful to understand like what was the role of the DMG performance coach and how was that different? That coach really supported, so the, the performance coach from DM group really supported our team lead. So within the breakthrough results program, you identify, we identified one teacher on each grade level team to be the, the team leader. And that person met with the performance coach. They were, they kind of learned how to facilitate a high functioning data-driven meeting. 
And so that person met with the performance coach and then the performance coach was like the cheerleader for that team lead. And really the goal was to empower that teacher as a leader on the team. In some cases that was easier than others. Um, it takes time to build the capacity of teacher leaders. So the performance court coach supported that and helped when the data conversation got stuck. They would help move that conversation along. Whereas our instructional coaches, their goal in that process, and it still is today, yep. it's not to guide the discussion of data, it is to help them think through how, like the now what. Okay, here's what, now so what, well like now, like what do we do? How do I find this? They really help them think if this is how the student is performing, this group, what is a strategy? Where could I go? What could this look like? Do you want me to come in and observe you? Do you want me to come and co-teach with you? So the coach is still the in the moment professional development. So do you have any specific EL specialists in the chiropractic dimension of Yeah, every, every teacher at, at each school, Red Oak and Oak Terrace, who's teaching in the dual language program, I believe just about every one of them has an EL license ESL, or endorsement. Yeah, yeah. On their, um, on their certificate. We also do have EL teachers who are not classroom teachers assigned to the... We have, but yeah. it's, a, it's a smaller allocation of mm -hmm. MTE. Yeah. Um, one of my instructional coaches this year is a trained language development teacher, yeah. our coach, and she doesn't speak a word of, well, she speaks like five words of Spanish now, but it's relevant because she can go into any language-based classroom and co-teach and provide strategies and skills to look at to watch the teacher deliver the lesson and then help them rethink how to really be connecting and bridging language our effort and this is in process it's embryonic our effort system-wide is to remove the dependency default we're dependent on the specialist who can fill in the blank be the digital learning coach, be the differentiation coach, be the mathematics coach, be the literacy coach. So we're trying, and it's embryonic, and there's you know ups and downs of becoming less dependent on the specialist and greater dependency on systems and structures that are in place for each child, and they're going to benefit every child regardless of this. And it's really an interesting process. There's a great uh, deal of struggle and challenge, and it's also unlearning, for lack of a better word, <laughs> how we've all come up and how we've all been doing our work. And part of that conversation too, we were able to get into the specifics of what was needed for those kiddos, for what whoever those kiddos are, right? Because it can change week to week, yeah. right? Um, so for example, the kindergarten goal was focusing on decodable words, right? There's a lot of prerequisite skills that come with that. You need to know letter names and sounds. You need to be able to sign you need to be able to blend in order to read a CVC word, um, which is what was linked to the decodable word um, test in FastBridge, right? So all of that was we needed to tweeze out what skills those kiddos needed with, with a lens of our EL learners. What does that sound like? What does that look like? I mean, we know that those are all good things for, for any learner, but specifically, we were able to have really, really deep conversations. When I walk into your room, or when a, when a coach walks into your room, when your kids come into your room for the day, do they, do they have access to X, Y, Z things that we talked about at the team meeting? So um, something that we um, uh, 
uh, it was a like a, a positive unintended, and intended um, you know consequence. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, Brand, I'm blaming it on that. <laughs> um, you know, I it opened the door for more coaching um, opportunities between staff and the building coach, and more opportunities for me to partner as an administrator. Um, you know, in in a way less threatening way of I was at this meeting. I'm a, I'm a member of the team with you. So when I go to do a walkthrough of your room, you know, I have specific look fors and listen fors because we talked about it as a team, and those are going to be best practices for those kiddos and there's always the circle back right of that next meeting you know what how did last week go that was part of the conversation so not only that quick form assessment that was done that data is going to speak for itself but then there's also that relationship piece with that conversation um, a large part of it too was the structures um, and Lily spoke to it a little bit as well she has a team this year um, that was like hey remember you know, let's let's bring that back. Those structures don't just disappear. Um, so they're the the lingering skills that are great that you know are, we're able to embed um, are going to continue to make a huge impact. Um, and if you know there's if there's teams that still view it as hey we, we can do another ten week cycle, absolutely, I'm not going to poo poo that idea, right? That's them still recognizing. We've maybe trickled away from looking at data. I need to bring that back in. Um, and you're going to absolutely recognize and celebrate that. So. We've really, in, in my building this year, at the end of the DM group challenge, I was like, it might be over, but it's not gone. <laughs> so just know that when you come back next year, it's going to look different. And we're really, we, we attended um, the three-day Solution Tree PLC conference mm -hmm. at the beginning of August. And, and it's a process. It's not a meeting. And that's the big thing. So in looking at bringing that in to my building this year, it's how do we shift our conversations to talk about what do students need to know and be able to do, and then how do you know? Show me how you know. And when you can't show me how you know, then we can talk about what our next steps are. So that was something that I brought into our team meeting structure this year, right away off the bat, talking about, okay, here's the start of a unit, let's get clear. So looking at those four questions, talking about instructional practices, and there's not a chance in the world I could have started my school year that way without having gone through that challenge. Because it opened up the door, it, you know, nothing else. The biggest takeaway for us as a, as a building, as a system, was that everyone now had, the door was open, we walked through it, and now what are our next steps? So it's really sustaining that especially in the, you know, how the, the wave of the school year goes. It's up and down, everybody's like, yeah, it's a new school year. It's oh, January, February. Well, last year was still COVID-ish. So we're masks. And it wasn't until February with some strange lawsuits in Illinois and all this other stuff that we actually stopped being embraced with and umbrellaed with COVID. One of the structural and organizational messages was, yeah, there's a worldwide global pandemic that doesn't stop continuous growth and improvement. Yep, there's some politica, politica, politization, I can't even pronounce this, John was saying there's a lot of politics and stuff and people are divisive. That doesn't stop continuous growth and improvement. One of the other results was Red Oak School in 2021, grades three, five, Illinois assessment readiness, 26% uh, of the children in 2021 demonstrated 
that they were at or above grade level on the IR combined uh, English language arts and mathematics. That's earning a score of a four or a five. After the 10 week intervention with DM Breakthrough Teams and the uh, relaxation of some of the COVID restrictions, in 2022, the performance um, had increased uh, by, by 40%. Um, there was, I believe, an 18 percentage point increase to 43% of the children at Red Oak School were now meeting or exceeding on the Illinois Assessment of Readiness. And the only intervention that was made was DM breakthrough team groups and a I do what I was doing. I'm, I'm recording this. So the, uh, the recording stopped at 60 minutes. So I just wanted to title it. And now I really want to hear Colleen talk about what are we doing now? This sounds phenomenal. Colleen. <laughs> What's that? No. Well, right now we're doing kindergarten, first, second grade at the five schools that have K-5 non-dual language. And it's very likely that next year we may find another ask of DM group to support 15 teams, possibly at grades three, five at these five schools, or our middle schools seem so left out. So we may visit those two schools and see what we can do there. We also are working arm in arm with our, with our labor union on the use of collaborative plan time and the use of minutes and this is all new and there's been some growing pains and some ups and downs and some challenges last year because this was brand new and it was coming out of covid we made some agreements to take the actual team time with dm group out of their plan time so they took it out of instructional time and most of the teachers were like please don't ever do that again we need our instructional time this year, with a little bit longer runway, we were able to more appropriately and professionally inform the powers that be within the labor side, you know, that we were going to be doing this for 10 or 11 weeks and it was going to run this way. And everyone, you know, appreciates the opportunity for dialogue. We've got slight challenges that we're going to work through, you know, with professional process with the labor unions and, and everyone else. Um, so, what we're doing for next year will be resolved in the next few months. So it'll be someone. I was asking because there's teams that are um, in my building that are three, five that are really curious about the process. Um, so that's why I was wondering. Um, but in the, in the land of K2, right, there are, again, we have the SMART goals, we have a very specific structure, um, and there are some massive celebrations. So not only the student success that we're seeing with those skills, and same idea, you guys, right? The What are the the prerequisite skills that are needed in order for the kiddos to be successful with the SMART goal that we have we have set, you know, based off of getting them out of the risk of um, early literacy failure. So that's kind of the bar that we're we're setting. You know, what 
what skill do they need, what percentage do they need to be functioning at, so they are no longer at a middle to high risk. Um, so from there, um, the things that are happening amongst the team at the school that I'm currently at are, I'm sometimes speechless, honestly. The accountability that comes from it, um, the conversations of, of the data, um, I was able to give them a little bit of a sneak peek because I had been a part of it last year, right? So they were really ready to, to roll with it. Um, but the level of, again, another unintended positive consequence was um, having that data up on the screen, right? If a teacher has, you know, X percent of their class with kids who are targeted for early literacy failure and another teammate only has X percent of their class targeted, let's talk about that. What is happening here? What is happening there, right? And the accountability piece, when you start to have, again, those barriers or psychological barriers, those cultural barriers, well, they just came in really low. Well, I ha you know, none of, none of them knew learnings and sounds from the beginning, so that's, that's why the data is looking the way it is, and that's why it's not catching up as fast. And you have a, a teammate saying, I don't know, my, we, you know, we assessed all of our kids in the beginning, and they were all, none of them knew learnings and sounds. That's part of that cultural yeah. mindset shift that comes from a breakthrough team result that is uh, worth, worth more than its weight in gold. It's easy for me as the superintendent to tell you that we inspire, we innovate, and we engage each child every day. That sounds phenomenal. I hope it's true. It's an aspirational vision. I have a leadership team of central office folks and principals who believe it and say it. We're proving to our teachers themselves, and I think more importantly, we're proving to the students themselves. And even more importantly, we're proving it to the system and to their parents. Each child can learn and grow at high levels, period. There's no but, there's no box to check off. Part of the problem, briefly, of some of our best intended plans, even going back to the 70s, public law 94142, was let's educate children with disabilities. And what we're gonna do is create a wheel and every spoke is going to be the outplaced group and room that we're gonna put these children in so they can learn better and they'll never learn with everybody else. So what we're doing is segregating students with needs, be it the gifted, be it the economically disadvantaged, be it the ESL, be it disabled in any form or fashion, as opposed to integrating learning in an inclusive, open environment because each child is gifted and talented, as Kay Tolliver would say from not far from here in the Bronx many years ago. It's our opportunity to help them discover their own gifts and talents. And by God, as a superintendent of schools, if I can phone a friend and get some help and provide some supports. I don't care if it's a first year principal or a 30th year principal. I don't care if it's an associate principal at two schools, one mono, one dual, and I don't care if it's children who have labels that have had pejorative connotations in our country's history. Let's break those barriers. Each child can learn, each teacher can teach, and we can support them, and guess what? Guess what, the results are real, and I'll be singing from the rooftops and problem solving all the neat little challenges that come across my desk, all the neat little people I have to work with all the time. And we'll make sure that we continue doing the right thing for students and for teachers.
each and every day. So I am grateful to them, representing probably the finest principal and leadership team in America. And I'm grateful to them for representing the finest support team in the world. And I'm grateful to my Board of Education for allowing me to have a superintendent innovation fund that allows me flexibility and freedom and trust to expend taxpayer dollars, which we don't do lightly, on what's right for students and teachers' growth. So thank you, and thank you. And I want to thank Dr. Lubavall. <laughs> this is a big, but this is a big one. Our district cabinet creates conditions for us as principals to be instructional leaders, and that is a game changer. In order to be present at the table, to be a part of those conversations, we as principals need the support of our district leadership and there's never a doubt in my mind that we always have that and they create those conditions and they empower us to be that instructional leader and to have a seat at that table so that is just a game changer for us yeah thank you it's just a fantastic way to end <laughs> um, any other questions from the audience knowing well, thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hopefully, this has been helpful both to understand, you know, again, the breakthrough results process, but really specifically then how our, our partners in North Shore helped to see the results with their English language learners as you think about your district, any groups of students that need that additional support, and how you can use data, support teachers from the district level and the school building level um, to really accelerate that learning and get them the support they need. So, thank you all for coming. Thank you.